0: Hello, everyone. I'm TJ, and I'm Aaron, and we're, and we're the, the o- OK Petunias. Petunias. And this week, we're coming to you to talk about season six, episode ten. Girls just want to have fun before they die, which is obviously an homage and reference mm-hmm. to Cindy Lauper's iconic hit.
1: It's also just a true statement.
0: It is true. I mean, girls do want to have that fun before they die, mm-hmm. and it turns out they do have some very complicated fun in this episode. Um, and it primarily focuses on Sophia, Rose, and Blanche. Mm-hmm. Sophia is falling in love with a very dashing man named Tony Davecchio, played by Caesar Romero, which we'll get to Caesar at the end ooh, of the pod Ooh baby. He indeed, ooh baby. Whereas Rose has is being asked by the city fathers of Saint Olaf to be celibate because they're having a drought, which I have a whole bunch of questions about this.
1: Now, I mean, I lived in Southern California for a long time. We had lots of droughts, and I think that if we had been asked to be celibate, I would have moved away a lot quicker than I did.
0: Yeah, so I have a lot of questions about that. And then both of them go to Blanche for advice, since she is the love guru of Mm -hmm. this, you know, trio. And she tells them both have to, in their own way, entice the men in their lives. Rose is supposed to withhold sex from Miles but not tell him why Mm -hmm. and then Sophia is supposed to basically tart herself (laughs) up for Tony Dovecchio. Unfortunately, things go awry for both of them. Rose doesn't know when to stop tweaking Miles' nose among Mm -hmm. other things. Sophia tells Tony she loves him and then Mm. things fall apart. Yes. And, you know, everyone sort of gangs up on Blanche to be like... What's wrong with you? Why are you giving all this terrible advice? Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Dorothy's just kind of floating in the background, giving bitter, ironic commentary, which we'll get to that in a little bit. But I wanted to just sort of front load a bit of summary. So if you haven't seen the episode for a while, you'll know sort of the big points that the episode hits. Nice. Thanks for doing that. Uh, You're very welcome. Thank you for the gratitude. (laughs) Uh, We could get into a whole cycle of thank you. Yes, of
1: course we could. And thank you, audience, for sitting with us as we do that.
0: (laughs) I mean, thank you for sitting with us every week. Because, you know... But we're pretty great, so I can understand. Anyway, let's move on to what we liked about this episode. Yes. There are some truly fabulous one-liners. I I would like to start by saying that I love... The letter that Rose gets from St. Olaf, which is from the Department of Water and Coffee. Yes.
1: And what I love about that letter so much, and sorry to take it from you, but I just love that moment so much too. What I love is how they use that, that TV device of the thing that's already pre written, knows what you're going to say, and has already responded to it in the letter. I love that they use that device here.
0: Yes, because of course, when Rose says, Oh, I better send water, <laughs> the letter writer says, Please do not yeah, send, send water. You <laughs> <laughs> <on> found the envelopes <laughs> leak. Which is true. I mean, it is a fair point. So clearly... Once again, though, I have to ask, how large is the St. Olaf expatriate community? Like, there's clearly a diaspora right. of, of St. Olafians scattered across the U.S.
1: Exactly. That's exactly what I wonder. Is it that the power of Rose Island and a few other people's sex is so powerful that it can change weather patterns in St. Olaf, Minnesota, or it's just that there's such a big group of them around the world?
0: I mean, I prefer in my headcanon to think that there's just an enormous St. Olaf diaspora like that they've just scattered through the winds to you know all corners of the globe Mm -hmm. that's what that's my personal yes I, i
1: think i think you're right on that
0: um I also appreciate the moment when Blanche is getting ready to reveal her makeover of Sophia. Oh, of course. And she says, you know, I took an 80 whatever, I whatever, random 80. But
1: before we say the line, we have to set it up. Like, the visual. We, have to, we do true. have to do that. So Sophia walks, or Blanche comes out to the living room where the girls are to introduce Sophia after she's done a makeover. So <laughs> Blanche sets up the line of the introduction with the most ridiculous line. Sophia emerges in this ridiculous red dress <laughs> with breasts that defy gravity. So I can't think of a better way to describe that. <laughs> and Blanche introduces her with what now?
0: She says, I took an 80, whatever random 80 age she comes 85, up 85, I believe. And that's, I, think, I, her, I took an 85 year old woman and made her look like a 65 year old drag queen. Mm-hmm, yes. And then I said to myself, Blanche, too much rouge. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, she reveals it. So it's, it's a hilarious line mm-hmm. that lands so well, particularly in the uncut version. If you grew up watching it on Lifetime, they often would have cut out the rouge part. Yes. That so would just be that she took the 85-year-old mm-hmm. uh, woman and made her into a 65-year-old drag queen, which is funny in itself, but it's even funnier when she says too much rouge, mm-hmm. which says a lot about how drag queens use rouge, but <laughs> neither here nor there. But... To be fair, Sophia does kind of look like a 65 year old dragon yes. at this point. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: and that's basically what she kind of is at this point because it's still Getty is around 65 at this point, right? right.
0: <laughs> and so it's very funny, of course, when Dorothy gets up, looking admittedly aghast, as one would be seeing mm-hmm. one's mother dressed up and, and looking like Satan's secretary to yes. draw in a future episode or a, a different episode. And then she says, Ma, are you in there? <laughs> and of course, Sophia, with great aplomb, says something to the effect of, I finally feel like my real self. <laughs> it's all just hilariously staged. <laughs> and of course, this is rather late in the show's run. <laughs> um, we're in season six. So it's gotten a little bit to the point where we're just sort of... Everything goes. Yes, like ri- it's,
1: ridiculous scenarios. Yes, it is very... Silly plot
0: sit- lines. Com- yes, yeah, it is very silly sitcom scenarios. So, and I like that, because I think that these later episodes are some of the funniest. Yeah, it's, the show
1: is really zany. It is very
0: zany, and I mean, it is very hilarious to see little diminutive Sophia mm-hmm. dressed in a blindingly red dress with fake boobs
1: exactly and for and i'm remembering this being a kid and remembering the the way that tv worked back then uh on network broadcasts like that red is always a bold choice because of the way that it carried over video over analog video signals back in the day so that red really 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 pops right there on screen which is why they use that color so much in tv like that but uh, the other thing that I love about that that you set up there when you talk about Sophia saying, You know, I finally feel like my real self again and then she immediately like points to her breasts and goes <laughs> Did she say, Should these be lower? Should these be lower? <laughs> because again, they're kind of defying gravity.
0: <laughs> it's I mean and of course this matches the moment when she comes home from her little her ill fated date with Tony and then throws the stuffed boobs. <laughs> at Blanche and says, do you enjoy getting old ladies into trouble? <laughs> Again, why we
1: love the zany era of the show.
0: I mean, the sight of, of Sophia just hurling the boobs at, at Blanche is truly I mean, I think it's not... It doesn't usually make the list of funniest moments, but it really should, just yes. because it's so perfectly delivered. Yes.
1: And what I love about that, and we're going to say this about a few other things in the episode, I love that it shows the kind of thing that they're like... They're seeing what they can get away with uh-huh. at this point, because that's a really lewd joke for this era of television. <laughs> You're going to take out your boobs and throw them at somebody.
0: <laughs> and yet somehow the Golden Girls always manages to push the envelope, but because it's just so funny, mm-hmm. it manages to sort of obscure just how risque it's yes or ranky as my grandmother would call it <laughs> which i don't understand i don't think it's a real word but she would use it anyway so what i've always appreciated about this episode and i actually used to teach this one too is the extent to which like so many of the other desiring episodes is it really sort of shows the extent to which these women are desiring subjects mm-hmm. and i think that that's a really still a radical act because yeah. we don't always think of people in their 60s let alone their 80s having desire let alone acting on those desires but in this show like it's not their sex lives aren't funny because they're sexual they're funny just because they get into all sorts of scenarios like it's not the sex that's the humorous part Mm -hmm. it's all the other shenanigans that accompany it
1: Exactly, and I love that they set this up with Sophia being the old one of the show, where they set it up where it's almost going to be like just the fact that she's sexually active is kind of the joke, but then we see her sharing these tender moments uh, with Tony throughout the episode, which reminds us that it really is real, you right. know, within the world of the show. Right. That it's a, It may be a joke to the audience, but within the world of the show, it actually is sincere, which I think makes it easier for the audience to to re- to remember that we're talking about people having sex lives in their 80s that's not actually a strange thing
0: right i mean she does achieve the self-achieved joan of arc fantasy triple. triple yes I mean, <laughs> another hilarious line he was coming ah. at me with a hose Then he puts out the fire three hype. So i hmm. will say i don't want to like get too far ahead but i wouldn't mind well, first of all, I wouldn't mind looking over and seeing Cesar Romero's like teeth on the yes, night stand next to mine. exactly. And yeah, you are not alone in that. I think there are lots of people, but, including our listeners. But I also <laughs> wouldn't mind having Cesar Romero come at me with a hose,
1: which
0: is very funny. And I'll get to this later. But it's also because like C- Cesar Romero is himself a subject of an earlier joke in the show mm-hmm. when Sofia is fantasizing about him in a loincloth, which is very funny. So mm-hmm. lots of intertextuality going yep. on with this one. Well, my, The last joke that I find particularly amusing is at the end of the episode when uh, Helgi from St. Olaf calls mm-hmm. to reveal that it is, in fact, raining. And we can't hear what she's saying, so Rose has to say she says, oh, God, it's raining. raining right? Oh, God, it's raining. And then keeps saying <laughs> it, yes. presumably, since Blanche subsequently picks up the phone and says in a very throaty, sexy voice, mm-hmm. boy, it must be pouring. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I don't know, the whole sequence is just... Again, a hilariously staged one and so effective, and I love one-sided telephone conversations Mm -hmm. when they're handled so well, which clearly the Golden Girls is sort of the master at this. Exactly.
1: And again, it's one of those moments where they're really getting away with a lot. Like, Rose is imitating an orgasm (laughs) right in the middle of this episode (laughs) of the Golden Girls. And again, they get away with it. They're actually allowed to do this (laughs) and put it on the air. And it's freaking hilarious because it isn't just lewd. It's so funny because... We are hearing this, and Rose, poor, simple, (laughs) naive, not like Rose, keeps repeating it because it takes her forever to figure out what's
0: happening. (laughs) Yes, so again, it's not that sex is a joke, but sex is funny, Mm -hmm. which are those are two different things, and I like that the Golden Girls opts more for the former than the Mm -hmm. latter. Now, I do think that this episode does... Aside from being just very funny, it does a lot of other things that I think... There are a lot of other things that it does really well. And I want to sort of do a deep dive into Sophia for a moment Mm because I think that, for the most part, Sophia is usually kind of ancillary to the action. Like, she has her own storylines in, like, the days and nights of Sophia and Mm -hmm. so forth. But for the most part, like, we don't always get to see this more sensitive side of her. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciated the extent to which we get to see her actually falling in love with someone. Now, she's had other lovers before i think she even had another tony the one who mm-hmm. also was roomating with angela was yeah. his name was tony you know and we had willie the guy who you know was the mm-hmm. thought she was a wealthy widow but this is i think one of the few times where she actually seems really emotionally invested in yeah. someone which we've seen with other girls but not as much sophia
1: exactly we know she's had an active life like the others but again the idea of really truly falling in love again you know, for especially at her age, that really is for a lot of us a remarkable kind of idea. Right. It's like who who assumes in their eighties that they're just going to find somebody that they fall for in that way.
0: Right. I mean, plus she, I mean, by this point she's already been married and separated from Max, so mm-hmm. like it's not as if she hasn't had you know she's been around the block or two. Mm-hmm. But I really like this scene. You know, when she's in bed with Tony, and you know how much revealing just how much trouble they can get into, mm-hmm. and then it's quite tender. And also very funny, but also revealing when she says, I love you. And there's just, a, the way that Estelle Getty delivers that line is, I think, very finely crafted. Because mm-hmm. you can see the hesitation on Sufia's face at rendering herself that vulnerable. Which, you know, saying the L word is a big deal, regardless mm-hmm. of how old you are. Right. And so, it's even more devastating when Tony, uh, Lord love him, says, thank you.
1: Yes. I mean... <laughs> and and what I love about it this being again a Susan Harris show it's got to follow the ethic of the tender moments have to be punctuated with humor what I love is that before we get a response there's the play on the idea that he just doesn't hear her (laughs) when she says
0: it yeah and then and then to double down and make it even worse he then says I care Care for for you you, yes oh I best I better get some sleep which I mean to be fair to Tony is he is a man Mm -hmm. and I mean we're men we're all men (laughs) But I do think that sometimes straight men don't always have the best communication skills Mm -hmm. or they also have flawed choicing skills Yes, for what it's worth. But I do think that this is a really terrible moment. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I cannot think of a worse way to answer the I love you than to say thank you oh, yes. i mean is there is there any worse way to hear someone respond to that
1: i mean worse ways plausible answers no <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah but that that's pretty bad
0: i mean i mean obviously as it turns out you know there are real reasons good reasons why mm-hmm. he doesn't say that but if if he had given a you know a little more thought to the question he might have been like i do appreciate the sentiment and i care deeply for you Well, I mean, he does say, I care for you a Mm -hmm. lot, but he doesn't care for you. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I really enjoy the fact that Sophia really responds with a lot of hurt and anger and again it's a really strong testament to Estelle Getty's performance that she's Mm -hmm. so able to capture sort of that righteous indignation Mm
1: -hmm. and one thing I will say about that though because I think that that's like the perfect encapsulation of a really sort of timely response to that the fact that you know we would privilege sort of her hurt and anger in that moment when he doesn't say I love you back I actually think if this episode were made today, it would probably be done differently. Mm. Because I think nowadays we think a little bit differently about the expectations of someone saying I love you. Right. Uh, Because that that does put a lot of pressure on something. You've been thinking about something that you want to say, so you say it, and then that kind of forces the other person in that moment to kind of respond. I think nowadays we understand better that That's not always so great. And that maybe you should say, I love you, because it's what you want to say, not necessarily expecting, Mm
0: -hmm. and I love you back. Mm -hmm.
1: But for this era of television that we're talking about now, I don't think we would have seen a lot of that kind of response. I think the response that we see in this episode is fairly typical of what you could expect back
0: then. And what also strikes me about this moment is the terms with which Sophia expresses her outrage and her hurt. You know, she says, if you don't love me, then how could you make love to me? Which... I kind of love that. I mean, it's very old-fashioned, but it's yes. very in line with mm-hmm. Sophia's sense of morality. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, you know, when we talked about Love Me Tender, when she sort of analyzes why Dorothy can't just get along with Sportnoki, mm-hmm. or for that matter, when she, you know, has a very dim view of Dorothy taking up with a priest. Like, yes. for Sophia, it's okay to have sex outside of the bounds of marriage, but within certain strictly limited sets of exactly. circumstances.
1: Yes, and I think that that's... in oddly complex and somewhat interesting like for me more timely approach to that than sort of the response to the not saying i love you is that it's interesting that there is that sort of decoupling of sex and and this level of intimacy Mm. that we know that sophie is okay with but once we reach this level of intimacy the idea of just the casual sex becomes distasteful to her Mm -hmm. and that's an oddly relatable feeling i think it's a complex one but i think it's one a lot of folks can connect to
0: right because it's clear that for her like this meant a lot more than just a fling Mm -hmm. like this was more like it meant it was a milestone in her relationship with him Mm -hmm. that was significant yeah and of course as it turns out you know fast forward shortly thereafter after you know she mistakes the tea kettle for the phone ringing and <laughs> sort of schemes about how to, you know, get back at Tony, make him jealous, including dressing up with Dorothy with a trench coat. <laughs> but you know, as it turns out, Tony didn't say that because he hasn't said it to anyone else since his wife died. <laughs> and I enjoy those moments where like we get to see Sophia and her sort her age cohorts, like, like, engagement with death because mm-hmm. it happens many times throughout the yeah. show. Like I think of all the characters, Sophia is the one who has the most mature relationship mm-hmm. with mortality. And I appreciate that. We get that moment when they sort of talk about what it means for people of their age who have lost their spouses to find love again. Cause it means something different than say, Rose or Blanche, you've also are widows, but of a different age. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it has a different import for Sophia. Yeah, exactly. And I also
1: like that we actually get that conversation where, you know, Tony opens up and talks about that, because it gives the cha- the show the opportunity to explore the idea that this relationship involves both of them and both mm-hmm. of their emotional responses. And that's a nice thing for a show that's obvious. It's the Golden Girls. It's right. not the Golden Girls and Tony. Right. It doesn't have to sort of give equal weight to him as a side character. But I like that it does in Mm -hmm. that moment because it it shows the complexity of of any sort of relationship but especially one at that stage of your life where you've already lived you've already loved you've already done all these things and it's not like those things go away right you know that's still a part of who you are and it's still part of how you see your everyday life at that point so any new relationship just kind of has to take that on Mm -hmm. the idea is that of course the you know in this case the ghosts of the past are always going to be there
0: right and they even go so far as to like look at each other's photos of Mm -hmm. their dead spouses which feels weird to us perhaps a little but it makes sense Mm -hmm. like it's not as if their spouses ha- are no longer part of their lives, but they are comfortable enough mm-hmm. with those shades of the past to be able to t- share them with other people, mm-hmm. which I think is a perspective you'd only have as an 80-something-year-old. I don't think that it, such a perspective wouldn't work for, say, Blanche or Rose trying to spark a new romance. They would be like, would you like to see how- pictures of George or Charlie? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think it would work for them at that age. Yeah, well, it would
1: only if they were with someone who was similarly positioned. I think it helps that they're all widowed right? in this case, because one thing that happens with that is that you understand what, that, what that's like and so mm-hmm. when someone else has been through it too you're like I get it right <laughs> yeah
0: now of course all of this you know I, I was fascinated by you saying that, like you know Tony makes a good side character because we get Miles in this episode and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a part, member of the Miles fan club yes. with the caveat of the golden girls miles fan club i am not a fan of the storylines in the golden palace oh, sorry do not mention that show do not speak its name <laughs> uh, yeah i have to well i just want to mention this since we're now you know getting into for we've had a few episodes under about we are not a golden palace podcast we mm-hmm. do not consider it part of our own personal headcanon we just need to put our line in the sand as to where we fall mm-hmm. we recognize and respect others who do but we do not yes so that being said I like that we get to see Miles. He doesn't do a lot in this episode. This isn't a Miles-centric episode. It is funny to watch Rose, you know, tweak his nose. Mm -hmm. It is funny to see him get, like, really randy and basically super super horny while mm-hmm. well, well,
1: still being polite miles <laughs> right and i mean i
0: just love harold gould's interpretation of miles as a character mm-hmm. like he is so perfectly suited to rose and there's just such extraordinary chemistry between betty white and gould like it just works mm-hmm. even in these limited scenes it's just wonderful to see them together yes and i'm glad that rose you know just dis- decides to tell him the truth and it's kind of silly that she would have listened to blanche to begin with but yeah it's rose exactly and
1: another thing this episode did well since we were talking about characters who didn't have a lot to do dorothy Mm. is is obviously sort of on the periphery for this and if you're looking at season six episodes you might notice that that happens a lot it's not that she's absent from the episodes but there are a lot more storylines that arrange the other girls in such a way that they're interacting without her because, of course, this is at the time when they were, you know, uh, B, uh, B. Arthur was considering leaving the show and they were trying to figure out whether or not they wanted the concept to go on without her. So they were kind of testing out, you know, premises where she's not part of the central plot so much. Right.
0: And I mean, that's fun to watch and you don't really notice it until you really sort of make yourself notice Mm -hmm. because it still blends so well exactly and i also appreciate about this episode that it gives blanche a moment to be a little tender like we usually see her as you know happy sexy fun loving blanche Mm -hmm. uh, the bed hobbit relic but (laughs) you know here we find out that when the advice that she gives to to rose and sophia collapses she then has to sort of do a soul searching and she opens up and says you know that works with the kind of guys that i go out with Mm -hmm. shallow guys but it doesn't really work with nice guys like Tony and Miles Mm -hmm. and I think that that's you know It's not easy for Blanche to be humble, let alone to admit she's wrong. Mm -hmm. God knows she never says sorry. Exactly. Like she literally chokes on the words. But (laughs) I think this is a rare moment when we get to see her offer up that a little bit more than she does Mm -hmm. otherwise.
1: Exactly. And I think it's really, since you mentioned that, I hadn't thought about it. You know, her general reticence to sort of take responsibility when she's, you know, done something. But the fact that it's about people's romantic lives and sex lives, I think, makes sense for Blanche. Because she really does have an awareness of, you know, that side of life and the importance of that, and she lives her life very openly that way. And what she's realizing is that it's important that she recognize that other people do the same thing, Mm -hmm. that other people's choices work for them. Right. And that's something that I think the show gets right uh, in episodes like this, where... The show delights in Blanche's debauched activities and and is encouraging of her and says if she wants to be this libertine character, go right ahead. But it also gives the other characters room to pitch their sex lives differently in ways that work for those characters. I like that the show does that. For me, that's actually kind of, I think, the most sexually progressive mm-hmm. approach that a show like this could take because it really does say each of these women ultimately kind of has to decide for herself right. what they're going to do with their sex lives rather than saying this particular model of a sex life is the ideal.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I like that Blanche openly says, you know, I cry every week because, mm-hmm. you know, it does get hard to mm-hmm. present that happy face. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, as you said earlier, it's a Susan Harris show, so, you know, Dorothy after greets one of Rose's inanities with excuse me i have to cry at 8 45 or whatever it is <laughs> yes. excuse me it's yes, like exactly. it's a very well put together moment from dorothy which is a highlight in her this moment for her mm-hmm. so in our last segment it's coco we hardly knew you in ye in honor of you know coco from way back when mm-hmm. and this is where we highlight the guest actor who appears in this sh- uh, in this episode so i personally have always loved caesar romero mm-hmm. i think my first conscious memory of him other than the golden girls was in a john wade movie called donovan's reef which takes place in the south pacific somewhere oh. yeah. and my first memory of him is in the
1: first episode of the lucy desi comedy hour where he's ricky's plays ricky's friend when they're in havana when lucy and ricky first meet no <laughs> well
0: there you go i mean he does have a history within like classic hollywood as do many of the you know actors who appear in the golden girls now and then as a latin lover that was kind of his. He was pigeonholed because he was of you know Spanish descent, so mm-hmm. it made sense that that's where Hollywood would put him. Yep. And he he is, if you look at pictures of him when he's young, he is incredibly sexy. I mean, nope. he's incredibly sexy when he appears in the is, Golden Cross. Exactly. As, when he's in his 80s, <laughs> he's even sexier when he's a young man. And I remember in Donovan's Reef, you know, this kind of swashbuckling kind of movie, being like, who is this dashing governor? And it's, of course, Cesar Romero. But, of course, I could not talk about romero's star text without talking about his arguably his most famous role f- that most people know him for which is of course is the joker and <laughs> the 1960s batman probably not the role he would have liked to have been known for right. arguably but nevertheless i do think that at the time of the golden girls was running that's probably the one that most tv audiences might have been most familiar mm-hmm. with i'm sure it bought him a nice house oh yeah sure i'm sure it did funnily enough <laughs> Apparently, from what I was do- when I was doing my research for this, he did not want to shave his mustache. Because, of course, you know, every Latin lover has to have a mustache mm-hmm. in the movies. So they just painted the white Joker face paint over the mustache. <laughs> so, I like I said, I love seeing Cesar Romero appear in this episode. There are some unsubstantiated rumors that he might have been a little fae. Um oh, wow. He was a confirmed bachelor, which in Hollywood parlance usually means gay Mm -hmm. see and that's the problem why can't a man just remain a bachelor well i mean i guess they could but i mean that but to be clear we don't know for sure but he is one of those actors who is commonly believed to have been gay
1: No, i think that's just wishful thinking and i know that because i'm one of the ones wishing it
0: yes but i mean i do also appreciate just the extent to which you know he's clearly channeling the latin lover um star text that he had cultivated earlier in his portrayal of tony mm-hmm. um you know because i mean i know tony is presumably a- italian with a name mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. but you know ntv land and american pop culture that the mediterranean all, just kind yeah, of mixes together yeah. into this you know this blob of you know sultry sexy men <laughs> I'm I'm not saying that's appropriate. I'm just saying that that's the way it tends to work. That's what
1: happened in TV.
0: Yeah. So, and I think that there is a great deal of chemistry between himself and Estelle Getty. And it's always fun to see Estelle Getty having sexy fun times with handsome leading men. Like, we Mm -hmm. talked about that, you know, with her and... um, Julio Glaces. Julio Iglesias I almost said Enrique but no (laughs) Um, so it's just it's fun to see her get to have a bit of enjoyment and to have this relationship and of course we don't see Tony again as is the case very often with mm-hmm. the golden girls, but he does make because quite an impression. Because
1: the go through men like tissues. Right.
0: They're always changing their underwear. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do appreciate that they were able to make such, you know, wise and astute use of Caesar Romero's star text to get him to be this kind of lover for Sophia. Mm-hmm. So, I think that seems like a pretty good play, a goody blue (laughs) there. Let's try all that again. A pretty good place to end, unless you have anything else that you wanted to talk about with this episode. No, I think we did it. I I think think we covered all the good stuff. Well, good. Well, for this episode of The OK Petunias, I'm TJ. And I'm Aaron. And we will see you next week.